I mean, we're, we're not talking about, uh, you know, certain subjects today. So yeah. everybody's in a good mood. And we got to watch movies for work. So that's also exactly. <laughs> always a plus. Guys, my favorite class in grad school, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the podcast, was psychopathology. So diagnosis class. And she had a video clip for every diagnosis. Wow. Was one of my fave teachers because that meant a lot to me. We did like, that in my counseling the theory class and I loved it. Oh, it was awesome. Again, not end all be all, just movies. And it was very meaningful. Well, I took a cinema, cinematography class in high school. Um, and so the whole class was we watched movies and then wrote papers about it. And which is really interesting. But one of the most interesting experiences was we watched The Wizard of Oz with the sound off in um, simultaneous to Pink Floyd's um, album. It, oh, it was eerie, the synchronous of the actions in the movie uh, to the soundtrack. Um, yeah, that was, so. that was what I was doing in high school, in case you guys were wondering what I was like in high school. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty interesting. And there is a lot of like psychological, like how much are you reading into it? Um, you, you, how, how much you attribute meaning to things that happen and coincidences, um, correlations, different things like that. It's yeah, because some of the lyrics like loop right into it, um, the, the plot. Yeah, and then I remember uh, there's a scene when they're in the forest. I can't remember. Yes. It's been so long. Where in the background, there's apparently a silhouette of a person. It's an anxiety-producing movie. How, how, how many people do we know terrified of flying monkeys? I mean, come on. Let's be real. I don't know, I don't know anybody. You don't know anyone. <laughs> for joining us for another episode. I'm Keith. I'm Kate. I'm John. I'm Renee. And it's okay if you're not okay. Talking about movies and schizophrenia and not talking about the elections or the pandemic. So okay. makes us happy. <laughs> Hopefully makes you happy. We all need a break from time to time and get back to some of our roots as a mental health center. So before we dive into uh, too deeply, uh, our uh, housekeeping items, first of all, Help us uh, reach more people. If you find this interesting, share it on uh, your social media platforms. Secondly, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Johnson County Mental Health Center or Johnson County government. And then today we have a kind of special disclaimer. We're going to talk about movies, many of which uh, are in the uh, PG-13 to R-rated range. So they have content warnings with them. We'll try and mention them as we bring up those movies. But just in case we don't, just know that you need to do your own research and make your own decisions based on what's good for you. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, let's dig into this topic of schizophrenia and, and what it is and what it looks like. Uh, Renee, can you help us just lay a foundation about what schizophrenia is, what it looks like just as a starting place? Thanks, Keith. I would love to do that. First, want to mention that I am grabbing this information from the National Institute of Mental Health. I'm just on their website. I think they do a really good job of just setting... Um, the stage, no pun intended for our movie dialogue, about <laughs> schizophrenia. So schizophrenia is a serious mental illness that affects how a person thinks, feels, and behaves. Pretty, pretty common definition for a mental health diagnosis, but I want to talk about a little bit, define some of the symptoms that we find uh, most common in schizophrenia, and those are the psychotic symptoms. So first off, there are hallucinations, and that's hearing voices or seeing things that are not there. 
There's delusions, which are firmly held beliefs not supported by objective facts or reality. And then there's the thought disorder piece, which includes unusual thinking or disorganized speech. So I hope that helps kind of provide a clear definition of the diagnosis and some of the symptoms that those folks experience. This conversation in this episode on schizophrenia is sort of an introduction and yeah. wanted, wanted to say that uh, the voice that we're most strongly missing in this conversation is a person with a lived experience. So we hope to be able to bring that into a future episode um, to talk. I mean, we're, we are using the mediums that are accessible to every person to talk about schizophrenia, but we still are lacking that firsthand experience. And so we hope to, in the future, be able to bring in somebody who has lived experience who can talk about what it's like to live, um, live with schizophrenia. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I think the first kind of movie that we want to use to uh, learn a little bit more about this um, is one of the more popular ones, um, A Beautiful Mind. Uh, a Beautiful Mind came out in 2001, uh, rated PG-13. Many of our listeners will be familiar with this, saw it many years ago, um, uh, and, and it's one of my favorite movies. I, I, I really do enjoy this movie. So even though I may be a little critical of some aspects of it, I still do think that they do a lot of, uh, do a really nice job of, of kind of portraying the experience of schizophrenia. So Beautiful Mind, just in case you guys, you know, need a little bit of a synopsis. Um, it, it's based on a real person, John Nash, who's a mathematician that had kind of developed a kind of a revolutionary uh, economic theory um, at the same time was having the emergence of uh, psychosis and schizophrenia. And what does it mean when you say that somebody has psychosis? Oh, okay. Yeah. So they're starting to have the experience of a, of seeing and hearing things. Yeah. And that could be true outside of schizophrenia. Like uh, psychosis absolutely. is a, is a term we use for other diagnoses, other mental health conditions as well. Absolutely. And while most of the stuff that we're going to talk about today does talk about schizophrenia, at least one um, isn't directly related to that. Um, people do have the experience of hearing voices without a diagnosis of schizophrenia. And it does um, go along with other uh, uh, diagnoses as well, that, that, that symptom. So that's a, a, a good thing to point out. Um, what I really like about this movie is that um, it really doesn't um, display schizophrenia as a curse, but, but more as a gift. Um, it doesn't say that he has these um, kind of um, realizations about um, math and the economy because of it, um, but it shows that, um, you know, you, you still have and do have a great life worth living, even in the midst of having these symptoms. It doesn't have to take over your entire life. Um, I, I think it also does a really good job of showing how difficult treatment can be um, and, and the side effects in particular of treatment and medications. Um, and uh, it might help viewers understand why people self-discontinue medications, make that decision for themselves. Um, and so, um, yeah, the, the differences and this, this experience of, of schizophrenia really shouldn't be viewed, um, you know, but often is as a pathology, what's wrong with the person. It's an experience that's happening to the person. Um, and so we, in, in this movie, really get to see this, this individual's journey of just kind of starting to withdraw socially 
Um, and then in the middle of a kind of a crucial uh, presentation he's giving, he begins to see people and, and believe different things about why he is where he is. Um, you know, one thing that, that I think all of our movies and TV will kind of get a little off on is how visual um, his hallucina hallucinations are. They're specific people doing specific things. At times they're touching him and interacting with him. Uh, it's a visual medium. So that's why they do that. I, I'd like to note that from all of you know, my research and understanding of this, it primarily is auditory hallucinations. And, and then we do have visual hallucinations with this diagnosis as well. Um, but there's not always a plot or a storyline that goes along with them. So great movie, um, gets a lot of things really accurate and really right about it um, and, and has a, um, just a, a really unique plot along with it. I think one of the cool things that this movie really reminds me of personally is that there are, there are individuals diagnosed with schizophrenia that are living phenomenal, productive lives. And, and, and you and I wouldn't know it walking down the street you and I wouldn't know it uh, if we engaged with them in a business setting. And I just think that is is so powerful. Um, I also know that there's the other side of that coin, right? And I think that we might get to some of that within the other movies that, that we experience here, but really just, just pointing out that it is like any other diagnosis that we all might receive on any other day. You can, you can live an absolutely rich life. Um, and Renee, that this can happen to anybody. So yeah. John Nash is an anomaly of a person anyway. Um, and, and, and there's no relation between high IQ, low IQ, yeah. traditional intelligence and, and mental illness. Schizophrenia and mental illness does not discriminate. Right, right. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of the first movie. Um, what do you guys want to do next? So I picked The Soloist, which came out in 2009. And that is rated PG-13 as well. Phenomenal movie. It is about, it's based on a true story. I want to mention that as well. Um, story about Nathaniel Ayers, who developed schizophrenia and later ended up being homeless. He was a student at Juilliard, and it really shares his story um, as a child all the way through his adulthood. I don't want to give too much about the movie away. Oh, you can. Give it all away. Give it all away. Tell us what you know. It's fantastic. There's no allowed with a movie that came out 11 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Uh, it's fantastic. It's about his relationship that he develops with a LA Times columnist who discovers him playing a two-string violin and his amazing skill set. And they really develop a strong relationship together one initially built around the columnist, uh, Robert Downey Jr. I can't remember his name now um, in the movie, but how he originally uses it to write stories about him in the paper and it becomes a strong relationship in the end. And I highly encourage anyone watching it who hasn't watched it. But what I loved about the movie is I thought overall it did a great job depicting uh, schizophrenia. You know, there's a lot of movies out there that can further stigmatize and create additional myths and misperceptions. I thought they did a great job um, with representation around hallucinations and delusions. Um, back to what John was saying, the importance of being there for someone and how you can be there for someone who um, struggles with any mental illness, let alone schizophrenia. Uh, talked a lot about age of onset. What we know from American Psychiatric Association 
is that it affects men and women fairly equally, but for men, they often experience initial symptoms in late teens, early 20s, I believe. And then for women, it's usually late 20s, early 30s. And they did a great job showing that in the movie. But one of my favorite things, which is also very conflicting for me, which I will say up front as well, was the ethical dilemma that they really showed in the movie around helping someone seek care and get them the treatment that not only that they need, but that they deserve when someone doesn't want to seek the treatment. And how do you go about supporting someone? So I really liked the conversation that the movie created around that as well. Which could be probably an entire episode of this podcast and maybe in the future. Um, yeah. how, how to help and, and, and care for someone who doesn't want help or care. Or maybe yeah. seemingly doesn't. What a, what a profound statement, Kate. And I love that you identify that as an ethical dilemma, right? Something that we're going to wrestle with as a, a human being um, that... I do believe at times the general population or the general ideation of schizophrenia is, man, they can't decide for themselves. So let's just lock them up, right? Let's make the decisions for them, put them in treatment, give them some meds, right? And just kind of that stereotypical generalization of this diagnosis, these the people with this diagnosis aren't able to think for themselves, aren't able to care for themselves. And I really just want to kind of dispel that myth. I really do. That... Because even though there is that thought disordered composition to this uh, diagnosis or could be, it doesn't mean you can't make decisions. Right. So true. Yeah. And so we all have, uh, we all have rights, right? We all have rights as, as adult human beings in this, in this world. And, and I, you know, as I've been itching to say it, but I say this frequently in my line of work at the mental health centers that it is not illegal to be mentally ill. I cannot just say, detain that person. They're psychotic. I can't do it. Right. right. I mean, ge generically speaking, if I could say that about somebody psychotic, then I could say it because John's got dark hair. Yeah. And not, not his, John having dark hair and you and, and uh, the person sitting next to him having psychosis, it, it's, it's, there's no reason. It's not infringing my personal rights. Um, that person is not a harm to me. They're not a threat to themselves. Again, that's completely different. If a person is a harm to themselves or others, I don't, doesn't matter what their diagnosis is, we're gonna intervene. But just because in, someone has an experience or a symptom of something, uh, if you got a runny nose, I can't have you detained. So if you're experiencing psychosis, I can't have you detained either. Yeah, yep. uh, from, from providers to family members um, to the individuals who still have rights themselves. Um, and it's very complex. But yeah, at the end of the day, um, if somebody doesn't want to take their medications, um, if somebody does not want to participate in treatment um, or does not see the value in that yet, that is their right to do. Yeah. I just wanted to say, I really appreciate both of you saying that because I think that's such a real fear for individuals when it comes to seeking care uh, is that if they don't want to continue or if it's not working, you know, and they need to look somewhere else for different care um that they feel they won't have the choice or the freedom to and so i appreciate both of you saying that for anyone who's listening and maybe considering navigating their own care that that is very real and that they do have that choice so i just want to say thank you for saying that yeah of course and was it not his choice 
the character in the movie to be homeless? It was, in a way, yes. I mean, that's right? what he preferred to be. Mm-hmm. Layers and layers and layers. Sorry, Keith. I cut no, you that, I, that's exactly where I wanted to go. Layers was, and was layers this. and layers. This because it brings me back to a conversation that happens in public policy all the time about the NIMBY argument. NIMBY is an acronym that stands for Not In My Backyard. And it's something that comes up often when a local, uh, like a city or a county or, or someone is, is talking about uh, a service type center to the homeless population is probably one of the places that comes up uh, the most regularly. And it, it just, it, it sparked that, that thought, this, this connection between being mentally ill is not illegal and then being afraid of homeless people uh, and then this correlation with, uh, you know, with this character who's homeless in this movie who, who has schizophrenia. And I think that that is a common, maybe semi-stigmatizing um, portrayal in media and TV is like, you know, the, the quote, the, the homeless individual talking to themselves, even if it's just kind of like a, an appearance or maybe in the background of a scene. And um, at the same time, there is a very real connection between homelessness and this diagnosis in particular. In fact, um, pulling this from um, the Schizophrenia and Related Disorders Alliance of America, it's estimated that um, a a third to even a half of individuals who are currently homeless um, uh, struggle with schizophrenia. So I think it's just, you know, maybe we stereotype a little bit, but it's also important just to put a figure on that, to to understand the direct relationship to how our mental health can impact our environment, um, our our community, our spirit, um, all of these things. And that data gives us some starting points for other conversations beyond what we can have here, but just like about uh, public service conversations and things. What is it about schizophrenia that that pushes t- someone towards homelessness? And what is it about the systems that are failing that's creating such a strong correlation between this population and homelessness? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, I'm gonna bring in my movie here. Um, so uh, whenever I look at a list of movies, I realize all the movies I haven't seen. Uh, but uh, one movie I have seen that uh, often has some connections to schizophrenia is Shutter Island. This movie is is definitely stigmatizing uh, for mental health. Like every mental health portrayal in this movie, the the individual is scary, violent, and dangerous, which is not true. In fact, uh, I believe it's Mental Health America that says that about one out of every five American adults will experience a mental health condition in their lifetime. So we know that 20% of the population is not violent, scary, uh, and dangerous. So this that's absurd. So this movie is stigmatizing. It's also probably the bloodiest, goriest movie I've ever watched because I don't just don't tend to watch that type of movie. But this movie is fascinating, and I'm going to ruin it for you because it's fascinating because of the big reveal at the end. So the movie starts with um, this character who, at the beginning, we know as Teddy, a U.S. Marshal, is coming onto this island. That the whole island is basically a residential mental health treatment facility, but like for like severe mental health conditions, like over the top. Um, most of the people there are violent offenders, etc. And he's coming because uh, with his partner because they are going to investigate that a patient is missing. And so they go through this this whole process where he's looking and, and trying to solve um, this mystery. So it comes off as kind of this like psychological thriller of finding this missing uh, this missing patient, and he. Um, in the midst begins to have hallucinations 
uh, primarily of both um, a woman coming and talking to him, kind of helping him on the case and turning him in different directions, whom he tends to have some affections with, and then with a child who's like, why haven't you saved us? And it's, it's, it takes a dark turn in the midst of his hallucinations. Fast forward to the very end of the movie, we find out that the missing patient is actually him, uh, and the whole thing was a delusion. And so he had had a traumatic experience with his wife and kids, uh, and after that, he created this whole new identity for himself. So his name wasn't really Teddy, it was Andrew. And in the movie, this was a delusion that he was experiencing to disassociate himself with that um, traumatic experience. And so all of this was protective measures. So he, so he didn't have to think about um, his wife and his kids, which he turned out his hallucinations were his wife and his kids. So um, it, it, it's a dark movie. It's just kind of that's the tone of it. It's a psychological thriller. But um, one of the things that I definitely wanted to uh, address, and we could, we could talk more about his specific symptoms, of course, but um, the, the way that this story portrays uh, the, the onset of his symptoms it um, seems the, the movie basically says it's specifically triggered by this traumatic experience, which is the tragic death of his, his wife and kids, not experiencing any of those types of symptoms before. And then all of a sudden he is, which to the best of my understanding is not typical. Yeah. So there isn't a uh, direct correlation to like a traumatic event triggering this diagnosis. Um, from what I understand, it really is like much of mental illness largely misunderstood and not yet understood. Um, but what we do know is that it is a combination of genetics and environment. So I, I really want to point out, and, and this is very common, environmental factors like poverty, stressful surroundings, and exposures um, to viruses and nutritional problems before birth, there is a correlation. So that's kind of some of the environmental stuff um, and, and I'm not going to get into this because I don't even understand it, but also brain structure in general um, has to do with this as well. That's not to say that somebody with schizophrenia doesn't have or has not experienced severe trauma. And in fact, to go back to your original or what one of our other points uh, around violence and schizophrenia is that the, that um, uh, People living with mental illness are far more likely to be the victims of violence than the perpetrators of it. So it is um, common for somebody living with a mental illness this severe to have experienced violence or trauma or a traumatic event in their lives. So mm -hmm. not a direct correlation, but environment matters. And sure. uh, events uh, happen in life then, and that matters as well. What other movies do we have? I've got an oldie. I don't know if it's necessarily a goodie. All right. So mine is, uh, legit, old school, guys. It's a 1977 film, also rated R. I was introduced to this movie in grad school. And so one of my professors used this to articulate uh, schizophrenia, but also schizophrenia in relationship to the treatment process. So I um, have enjoyed it for about 15 years now. So here's my disclaimers. It is rated R. It is an old movie. It came out in kind of the same era as One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So it uh, is, is set in an inpatient setting and it's got that very eccentric, inpatient, psychotic patients dancing around, um, very obscure treatment uh, methods used. But in this disclaimer, I'm gonna say guys, when you watch the, if you do choose to watch it, 
and you are disturbed by the wrapped in wet blankets strapped to a table, be disturbed by it because we don't do that anymore for a reason. But that is legitimately a treatment source, a resource that they used just a couple decades ago. Uh, um, I'll, add it, I'll add in there that Shutter Island has the same the same piece. It's at um, it's at fifty sixties, and they uh, go so far as what's it called a lobotomy? They removing yep. pieces of the brain, which was a, yep. le- a legitimate, for lack of a better word, it was a real um, treatment there. Absolutely. Which, is absolutely not practiced anymore. And so that's another place that can add a um, barrier, like make it scary to seek out professional help. If right. that's or your understanding of what professional help is, that's not what it is anymore. No. celebrate that. Just want to link this to the rights discussion uh, as well. Is individuals with mental illness did not have the same rights that they do nowadays, and that's all linked through here too, from so previous true. treatments to what we're what we're able to and and allowed to do and should be allowed to do um, with, yeah. with folks. They are participants. People people living with mental illness are participants in their treatment today, and it's and it's awesome, and it's how it that should is- be. What a, what a good point. I didn't even think when we started this conversation, we'd really have so many kind of common threads, even just in our, our media portrayals, but I, I really enjoy it. And again, for an older movie that I'm bringing to the table, um, I don't even think I've said the name of it. I'm going to keep it from you all. In fact, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I don't care. So I've got to get back to, okay, so it's, it's rated R. It does have um, a, a young girl. So she is ad- admitted into an inpatient facility due to suicidal ideation and attempts and psychosis, right? So hallucinations, delusions, hers are primarily auditory and visual hallucinations. Um, She has a world in which she hallucinates about, uh, comically kind of referred to dreamland. Um, You will see her engage in that world throughout the movie. So it's got some tough scenes to get through, tough scenes also in kind of the treatment of patients. Uh, But I love the connection that the main character, she's a 16 year old female, and her therapist create in this movie. And you get to watch their relationship really take course over a couple of years while she is in this treatment facility, which again, that's kind of also a, we don't do years worth of treatment any longer in an inpatient facility, truly, unless there's, oh man, lots of extenuating circumstances, different episode. Uh, So I got two favorite quotes from the movie. And the first one is the patient is extremely just exasperated and says, and it's just describing to the therapist, I don't even know what to do anymore. This is difficult. Um, I don't have the energy. What are you making me do? Why do I have to do this? And the therapist very calmly proclaims to her the title of the movie, I never promised you a rose garden. So I loved, I love just kind of the healthy dose of reality that that therapist was able to bring to that person here. Um, This isn't easy. This isn't uh, take an aspirin in the morning and your symptoms go away. This is work. This is hard work um, in, for, the, for the person that has the diagnosis the most, but also the network, the support network surrounding them, the, treat, the treatment network. Uh, it's, it's a lot of work. So I loved, uh, I just love, I love that quote. I love that scene in the movie. And then my other favorite one is towards the end of the movie when you see um, the client again at a very kind of exasperated moment say to her therapist, you know, the difference between you and me is that you get to turn me off and I don't ever get to turn this off. And so I give up. Mm. I haven't had that experience. My heart breaks for someone 
who is at the point of because of something they're experiencing themselves say I give up mm. um, it was a I liked it it was a, a beautiful again um, I liked it how it was described or d- d- displayed in a movie it's a movie I know that um, but I like the way that the therapeutic relationship and journey um, changed and moved forward at that point in time and so I really um, loved that even in those moments of exasperation I would encourage people to share those because it really can change the trajectory, let me say that word three times fast, (laughs) of your treatment to positive places. So lots of mental health depiction uh, in that movie, but man, it is a classic in my library and I have probably watched it uncomfortable amount of times. Yeah. What a beautiful (laughs) portrayal of um, one stage of recovery, which is the life is limited. This can't stop. Um, you know, I can't turn this off or this won't change. And, and that's just a very real part of people's change process. Cool thing about it is there's yeah. other stages. There are other stages, but we still need it. I mean, just what a beautiful way of helping us empathize with, yeah. with that, um, st- that particular stage. Well, I also I- started my career working with, with youth and I spent a, a, a more than a decade there. And so I liked that she had that younger uh, she was a younger character. My Most of my professional experiences has been, again, in that early onset, uh, in that adolescent, uh, early adult years. And so um, I related a little bit more to that as a professional as well. Can we unpack that a little bit more about onset? Because I know, so um, Jamie Foxx's character in The Soloist in Kate's movie, um, it talked about his uh, onset in late teens. Um, Shutter Island got it wrong, or at least most likely. Renee, you mentioned your your character was uh, in her teens. Yeah. Um, what what are some signs, or like what should we, what can people be on the look for, or like what what's that experience like with schizophrenia specifically? For sure. So that is just man right up my alley. I know that that John and I really enjoy uh, talking about this stuff and providing education and just experience to folks. And so mine specifically comes. I do want to put a caveat around it that my um, professional experience really does come. In, in with individuals who are in what I've come to know as the prodromal phase. So a prodrome is all that means it's a medical term. It means I'm having symptoms and I don't have a diagnosis. So I know if y'all are anything like me, you've gone to your doctor, you've had this list of things you're experiencing and the doctor's like, well, I don't really have a diagnosis for you, but here, let me give you some medicines or here's some symptoms, here, here's some uh, treatment I can provide for you. So what we see in early onset um, prodrome or prodromal phase of schizophrenia is I'm going to just say, guys, this is going to be horrible, like schizophrenia light, okay? So imagine the symptoms that we've talked about, disorganized thoughts and speech, psychosis, so just at a very introductory, man, this is the first time I'm experiencing this. We talk about hygiene a lot. So we might see an adolescent or young adult really start exhibiting some um, poor hygiene behaviors, maybe some bizarre behaviors in response to loved ones, kind of backing away from, perhaps a little scared of or trepid in engaging in that personal or familial relationship. Um, also, experiencing an auditory or hallucination for the very first time, or also having a very long-standing visual or auditory hallucination that was once comforting to you become very uncomforting. Um, I've had a couple of instances of um, 
listening to the story of, of, of a client describe that and kudos to that person for being courageous to reach out because I couldn't ha- have, have done that. That sounded really scary. Social withdrawal or yes. disengagement, um, a, a marked or subtle personality change. Yeah. School, school work, mm-hmm. right? You just kind of see that, that functioning, that, that, um, that functional engagement kind of lower, maybe productivity lower, outputs are lower. That could be grades, that could be um, um, work experience or work assignments is I think the word I'm trying to get at. I also want to point out too that this is a really prime time stage in life where we are doing a truckload of brain development. Early, sorry, late teens, early 20s, we have got decision-making zones that are just building bricks, um, uh, uh, just doing a ton of uh, building during that time. So we've got we've got judgment, we've got decision-making. This is a time where those young adults might be making some questionable decisions. It has nothing to do with a mental illness because they're just making questionable decisions. So it really is about what is your personal experience or what is the personal experience of your loved one? Asking questions, talking, identifying, being concerned and, 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 and seeking help. And you guys know, you know, it's my team. We're the front door of the mental health center. And so I would be completely remiss if I didn't say, guys, if you've got any questions out there and you would love a conversation with a mental health professional just to help have the conversation or navigate resources, please call the mental health center. 913-826-4200. And just at, say you want to talk to somebody. That'll get you to my team. We'll give you a call back uh, because it is COVID time. We're doing lots of calling. Um, hey, we were saying we weren't going to talk about the pandemic. I know, but I have to say that. <laughs> you, said the P, you said the C word. <laughs> the C, the uncalled for but we are we didn't say r-rated movies on here now we have to rate this podcast on <laughs> uh, <laughs> but also guys um please if you or someone you love are experiencing just a crisis or just a situation that you are not comfortable with and you can't wait you've got to reach out to our crisis line we are there trained mental health professionals 24 hours every single day it does not matter 913 913- Two six eight zero one five six. Please call us. I wanted to actually touch on one of the questions that I get a lot, and that I've asked myself a lot, which is, "What is the experience of hearing voices or hallucinations like?" And uh, I will just go ahead and provide a disclaimer: myself and none of my uh, fellow podcasters here um, have had the experience. Um, of psychosis uh, related to schizophrenia. Um, but one way that I help friends and family and, and folks that I meet kind of understand what it, what it might be like um, is to describe um, and get them in touch with their own internal voice. And the example that I do use is, um, you know, when your alarm goes off at, at 6.30 in the morning and your first thought is, oh, I don't wanna get up today. Do you actually say that out loud? Maybe so, Maybe sometimes, uh, maybe a groan. <laughs> I did but, this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but most of the time that is happening inside, right? And so think what it might be like to lose control of that voice, to separate yourself from that voice 
or uh, for that voice to start to critically say things to you. We talk about negative self-talk that sometimes becomes difficult. Um, um, so that's one way that I've helped, tried to help myself understand that. There's a really wonderful mental health first aid activity in which you try to have a conversation with somebody while somebody has a rolled up tube of paper and is, is whispering into your ear. Um, so I, I really encourage folks to check out the hearing-voices.org website. The Hearing Voices movement is a really cool uh, way to normalize and understand um, the experience of hearing voices. Um, while our movies oftentimes depict very vivid plot lines, stories of visual hallucinations, typically people who are experiencing visual hallucinations um, may see fuzzy shapes, shadows, beams of light, um, insects, sometimes people. Um, they can see objects changing color or shifting texture. Um, and it can be distracting, frightening. Um, uh, it can also be comforting or humorous. Um, and so it just doesn't take the form that I think a lot of people or media oftentimes um, does display. Yeah, I think that's so awesome. And the last example I will share here, again, go back to my uh, experience with, with youth and some young, young adults, older adolescents experiencing auditory hallucinations for the first time for years before sharing with anyone, they heard their voice called mm -hmm. and they didn't know how to explain it. And all they heard was their name. And so sometimes that can come in a very familiar context to someone and how that starts. So let me say this, and this comes directly from the Hearing Voices um, uh, movement here. Statistics vary, but it's generally accepted that between 3 and 10% of the population hear voices that other people don't. It could include one-off experiences, like hearing someone call your name when you're shopping, or feeling your phone vibrate in your pocket when it actually hasn't. This figure goes up to 75% when you include experiences like that. So while I have had little blips throughout my life where maybe I turn around, they can say, who said my name, right? Turn that up to maybe a hundred and you might try to start to understand the experience of psychosis. And that, that points to what we often talk about when we uh, answer the question, when should I seek out professional help? And um, we often talk about it when it comes to the point that it's impacting your relationships with others, your ability to go to, to work, your ability to do school, like your normal daily stuff, maybe more than just like one time over a, over a period of time. That's when you ask for help. But also, we've said many times on this podcast, if you're ever just feeling like this is a little off or this is not normal for me, um, that's an okay to ask for help then too. You don't have to meet a certain threshold or criteria to ask for help. As soon as you're feeling just a, something off about yourself or even a loved one, um, it's great to to connect with some help, ask a question. Our uh, crisis line that Renee mentioned, I, I know some of some folks around here talk about it like an ask a nurse line. So you don't have to have an immediate crisis right now to call. Right. It could be like, hey, I've had these series of experiences and I'm not sure what I should do about them yet. Um, that's a perfect time to call. Or I've noticed these couple things with my kid and I'm not sure if it's just normal teen stuff or not. What do you say? Great time to call. Couldn't have said yeah. it better appreciate it yeah, absolutely the, the the not i don't I hesitate to say trend um but the the um, leading thought around psychosis and schizophrenia is about early intervention mm 
Um, and, and, and on average, I'm, I, don't, I can't cite this stat, but on average, folks are, are coming into the mental health center about 10 to 12 months um, after they probably should have. So call us earlier, sooner rather than later. So guys, I know this is always Keith's place, but I'm going to totally jump in here because uh, I've never really invited our listeners to do anything. But I think the people that engage with our podcast and are out there listening have a ton of other movies, music, books, TV shows that might have, they might have thought of while we were sitting here talking about some of our intersections. Uh, man, drop it in a comment somewhere. What other movies, what other forms of media, how have you experienced uh, schizophrenia in that way or seen it displayed? But also what questions do you have for us? If we could kind of develop another episode, we would love to. So um, give us some feedback, ask some questions out there because uh, we would love to bring, again, we're a mental health podcast with some personality and, and we love to talk about this stuff. How'd I do, Keith? That was good. That was good. <laughs> If this is your story, we would love to hear it. And if you have things that, that we got wrong based on your experience, tell us that too. Thanks for joining us for another episode. I'm Keith. I'm Kate. I'm John. I'm Renee. And it's okay if you're not okay. <laughs>